Let's pray. Father God, as we come and approach your word tonight, will you open our eyes to see what it has to say, open our ears that we might hear and understand, and we pray that you will help us to know what your word says and to put it into practice. Amen. All right, well, friends, I think uh, all of us know what it feels like to be an insider or an outsider. An insider, like, you've usually had that feeling, right, when you started at somewhere new. You start at that new school, uh, maybe it's your first day at university or uh, your first day at a new workplace. And you know what it feels like because it's, it's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? Um, you don't quite know what's supposed to happen next. You don't, you're not quite comfortable with your surroundings. Um, you're not quite sure if you belong. I remember my first day at university uh, when I eventually actually found the lecture theatre that I was supposed to be at. Uh, some of the upper years were standing outside and, and telling us all as we, we went in that the, the dean considers lecture theatres as sacred territory. You've got to take your shoes off before you go in. So there we were, all paraded in, all of our shoes left outside, looking like complete dorks. Um, one of those insider jokes that's been inflicted on medical students for years and years. Now, you know what it's also to feel like an insider, don't you? It's when you're familiar with the territory and, and you know what's supposed to happen next. Some of you have been at this church for three years or five years or maybe even ten years. Uh, you know who the pastors are. You know who's new, you know who's not. You know, you already knew that when June's on supper, it's going to be really awesome. You didn't need Beck to tell you. And you also know that, that Jeff loves to, to bash out a bit of Eric Clapton, a bit of filler music from time to time, right? You see, when you're the insider, when you're in, you kind of have that special knowledge, don't you? You, you know what's supposed to happen next. You, you know you belong. Friends, today our passage deals with this question of insiders and outsiders. Who are the real insiders and who are the real outsiders when it comes to God? We've got three different characters in our passage today. You might have noticed we've got a bunch of Pharisees. There is a Canaanite woman and there's the crowd of 4,000. Each of them naturally kind of belong either as insiders or outsiders in, in respect to God, but after their encounters with Jesus, we kind of see that actually some of the ones who were insiders have ended up as outsiders, and some who were outsiders ended up as insiders. So we're going to have a look at each of those in turn. So if you've got your Bibles out, uh, there'll be a good, good time to turn to, back to those pages now. That was page 693 in the small print or... 1,521 in the large print. You can follow along with me. Let's start with the, with the Pharisees. Okay, the Pharisees, they are the ones who, who teach the law to God's people. Right, they're the ones who have the law. They, they would naturally, you could naturally consider them as, as insiders with God, wouldn't you? Because they know how to obey God. They have the law. Now, these Pharisees that we have in our passage today, they've trekked for a long, long way to come and see Jesus. I'm going to chuck up a map behind me just to kind of get your bearings right because there's a lot of different places in our passage today. So these Pharisees, they've come from Jerusalem. 
They've travelled all the way up to, to Gennesaret. You can see right up the top there. It's good probably 200 uh, kilometres or so. They've come all of that way to come see Jesus. Now, you don't just kind of travel all that distance just for fun and kicks to you. Um, what we probably have here is a, a bunch of Pharisees. They're, they're probably law experts. They've come a long way. They've been sent to try and test out Jesus. Check out whether he's teaching what, what they teach. And that's going to come very relevant for us as we see how they interact with Jesus. So let's read from verse 1. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So already we, we see these Pharisees, they, they've noticed something about Jesus and his disciples. They, they don't wash their hands before they eat. It's not just a matter of, of hygiene. They, they kind of point out, you're not following the, the tradition of the elders. But what are those traditions of the elders? What's, what are the Pharisees going on about? We said earlier, right, the, the Pharisees are the teachers of the law to God's people. But what they did, they, they also came up with a whole bunch of, of these other teachings, right? These traditions. Uh, what they were supposed to do was to, to help you to apply God's law, to work out how is it that you actually live out God's law in your life. They were all these traditions. They bring up these traditions because they see that Jesus isn't, isn't quite following them in the way that, that they would have it. See, their response to Jesus, they, they want to criticise Jesus, that he's not quite following these traditions that the Pharisees teach. But Jesus is not having a bar of it. See, Jesus has, has noticed already that these traditions that the Pharisees teach have become corrupted. Verse 3. Jesus replied, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever gift you might have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honour his father with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You see, friends, these traditions that the Pharisees have taught, they're supposed to help, help the people apply and, and live under God's law. But what the Pharisees have ended up using them for is to find loopholes. Loopholes in order not to obey God's law. Right? Excuses for, for not obeying the law. You see, honour your mother and your father. That's one of the Ten Commandments. But the Pharisees found a loophole. You see, their, their argument is this. Under, under our traditions, well, if you devote all of your goods as, as devoted to God, well, then you have no right to give them away to, to anyone, not even to your parents. So you get to keep using all of your goods, but you've devoted them to God, so you can't give them away. You can't support and, and honour your, your parents like you should. Not surprisingly, Jesus calls them, them hypocrites. You know, you people who you look like holy people, but inside 
Their hearts are rotten. As we read on, verse 7. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. You see, Jesus sees that the Pharisees' religion is a false religion. It's, it's, in the end, it's vain. It's pointless. It's, it's useless religion that only tries to, to minimise how much you need to obey God. Did you notice that? You see, their religion is concerned with only the external appearances, right? And so you can, you can just wash your hands and be right with God. All the while, in the background, they're sinning, they're finding ways to dishonour their parents and all sorts of other things. Friends of Pharisees will be plucked up like weeds, Jesus says, and thrown out for their false religion. See, Jesus explains it rightly because you've got to go deeper. Being unclean is not just a matter of the surface things. It's not food or dirt that makes you unclean. You've got to go deeper. It's about our hearts. You see, it's our unclean hearts that make us unclean and dirty. Verse 15. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you so, still so dull, Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach, then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Friends, these Pharisees, they should have been the insiders. They are the ones who have God's law. They, they, they should know how to obey God's law. But with their false religion, their superficial traditions, you know, they'd rather obey their, keep to their superficial traditions than to really obey God from the heart. They're rotten, they've made loopholes in order that they can sin, and they have a false religion. Friends, instead, these insiders have been rejected by Jesus as outsiders. Blind guides, he says, you're going to fall into a pit. For friends, Jesus is the only one who can make you truly clean. Well, we now move on to the Canaanite woman. Now, in, in contrast to the, the Pharisees that we've just seen, uh, we couldn't actually find someone who's further away from where the Pharisees are. I mean, for starters, she's a, a woman. Now, 
back in these times that women weren't considered as equals uh, to men. Uh, she's a Canaanite. Canaanites were the, the ancient enemies of Israel. That makes her also a Gentile, which by default actually makes her unclean. You see, you see, Gentiles don't have God's law. Unlike the Pharisees, they don't have God's law, which means that you just kind of sin ignorantly and you're unclean and you have no way of becoming clean again. You couldn't think of anyone more qualified to be an, be an outsider to God, can you? This unclean Canaanite woman. Yet Matthew shows us that even the most, most unclean can become friends with God. Let's read on, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Jesus doesn't even say a word to her at first. Well, friends, we actually need to notice something very important here. Jesus' primary mission was to Israel, to save Israel from her sins. It's so easy for us, I think, to forget, isn't it, these days, that, that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, sent first to the, to the nation of Israel. You see, even though this woman recognises that, that he is the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus still doesn't even talk to her at first. Now, this woman keeps on pleading and pleading. She has great faith that, that maybe, maybe, just maybe, even outsiders can get a hearing with God. Verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. There's something kind of funny happened there. I'm not sure if you noticed that Jesus seemed to call Gentiles dogs. Uh, I don't think Jesus is, is trying to be rude or racist at this point. Uh, he is, though, quoting a Jewish expression. You see... That's the kind of contempt that the Jewish people had towards Gentiles, those unclean Gentiles. Now here we see Jesus actually drawing out the faith of this woman, drawing out just how great it is that this woman would trust him, that this unclean Gentile woman would be willing to take the scraps from the Jewish Messiah. You see, this woman... She is the one who responds rightly to Jesus with faith, incredible faith. The crumbs that fall off the table is enough for her. And extraordinarily, Jesus, Jesus responds to that. He grants her healing. 
You know, healing, that sign of God's blessing, of, have, of acceptance. Um, I wonder if you remember, uh, it's about 10 years ago now, a speed skater, Stephen Bradbury, won a gold medal at the Winter Olympics 2002, Salt Lake City. Um, I'm not sure if you remember all the full context of that, but Australia had never won a medal, had never won a gold medal at the Winter Olympics before. And here is this guy, uh, Stephen Bradbury. Uh, he was the oldest competitor left in the finals. Uh, he, he really actually didn't belong there, okay? The, the top four were superstars. And the only reason Bradbury made it is because there was a massive crash in the semifinals and he slid on through and, and uh, made it into the finals extraordinarily. Uh, Bradbury actually knew that he didn't really belong there. So his whole thing was that, well, in this finals, I know I can't beat these guys. I'm too old and too slow. But I'm willing just to trail behind them. You know, you never know. There's only five people in this race. If a couple of them crash, maybe I'll slip through and, and, and pick up some scraps. Well, as it turns out, uh, it's a very famous scene. They're coming around the final bend, coming up to the finish line as the top four keep jostling for the gold medal. The massive crash happens and all four of them are wiped out and, and crash into the wall and Bradbury just skates on through <laughs> and wins the race, a gold medal. Uh, he must be the only, only guy in history who's ever won a gold medal for not falling over. <laughs> it was incredible, amazing scenes. You know, it was, it was actually so extraordinary, right, that they came up with a saying. It's now called doing a Bradbury, right, when you have some kind of unexpected success, doing a Bradbury. And that's what we've seen this woman do here. She's done a Bradbury. This distant outsider, she doesn't belong in this group. She was happy to pick up the scraps, but she is the one who was accepted by Jesus. Meanwhile, we see the, the people who should have been insiders, the, the Pharisees, rejected outright by Jesus. And friends, this is not a once-off either. You see, what happens next is quite extraordinary as well. We see Matthew zooms us right back, gives us the big picture of what's going on. Jesus didn't just minister to this, this one Gentile woman. No, he's actually been ministering to, this, to thousands of Gentile people. We're going to read on, verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee... Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Friends, Jesus is there, he's, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's a Gentile region, and it's a Gentile crowd that's following him. You know they're Gentiles because later on you see that they praise the God of Israel. That's not something that Jews would say. That's not a phrase that they would say. That's something that someone outside of Israel would say about the God of Israel. And we see that they praise the God of Israel because... All these incredible bodily defects have been healed. And friends, isn't it so true that uh, even in our society, 
uh, those with obvious bodily defects kind of drift on the, the fringes of society, don't they? Um, so remember when I was, uh, as a medical student in, in Kenya, and uh, was there with a few uh, mates, and we were on a bus, we are taking a busload of people to a missionary hospital to get treatment that they couldn't otherwise afford. And I just remember it was so distinct. There must have been some of the most disadvantaged and deformed people I've ever seen. Uh, there was this one guy who'd had a car accident probably about five years or so before, and he needed a, a metal plate inserted into his leg. Well, that metal plate failed, and he actually had this, this metallic object that was sticking out the side of his leg. It was incredibly deforming, and it was obvious to all that, that this guy had a major problem. He couldn't afford it. He couldn't afford surgery to fix it up himself. Uh, he was outcast by society. No one wanted to look after him. Yet that's kind of what this scene is like. The crippled, the lame, the blind, the deaf, the rejects of society are being brought to Jesus out by this, this lake. All of them natural outsiders, Gentiles, yet we see them responding, being brought to Jesus for healing. We see all of these, these people who should be outsiders and, and outcasts tapping into Jesus' power, experiencing healing. Again, that, that sign of God's blessing and of his acceptance. I mean, it's actually, it's actually an incredible scene if you think about it. If you can imagine just being there and, and seeing all of this taking place in front of you. The key is not just how incredible it is. The key is that it's actually a sign. I think we've looked at this already in Matthew, but it's a sign from Isaiah 35. When, when you see the blind see and the deaf hear, when you see the mute speaking and the lame walking, that's when you know God's salvation is here. God's salvation has come. And if you miss it the first time, there's a second sign, the feeding of the 4,000. Just like the feeding of the 5,000 from last week, but, but with Gentiles instead of Jews this time. Verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and it's a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave thanks to them. Uh, and he gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up the seven baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those he ate was 4,000 men, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. Friends, do you remember what the sign is? When you see a crowd being fed in the wilderness, what are you to think of? We saw it, didn't we, last week, that 
is the exodus. Jesus, we see, leading a new exodus. Now, friends, uh, the exodus in the Old Testament was the major salvation event of the Old Testament. And if we see Jesus doing something similar, we are to know and see Jesus is leading the major salvation event of the New Testament. Friends, it's completely intentional that we have these two feedings, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 last week with Jews and the feeding of the 4,000 this week with Gentiles. You see, I think Matthew actually means to show us salvation is going to come to the Jews, to Israel, and then salvation is going to come to the rest of the world. That is why we've got this second feeding here. Friends, Jesus is the one who holds the key for Gentile dogs, for unclean, defiled people to be saved, to be made insiders who are part of God's people. We started by by asking, who are the real insiders and and who are the real outsiders with God? And and we saw that the Pharisees who have all this insider knowledge and, and, and know how they should obey God cast out as outsiders because of, their, because of their superficial religion. And then we saw this, this woman who should have been an outsider become an insider because of her great faith in Jesus. And friends, we saw thousands of Gentiles coming to Jesus, healed, blessed and accepted by him. Friends, how do, inside, how do outsiders become insiders with God? Because Jesus is leading a new salvation, one that includes Gentiles too. So friends, what about us? How is it that we stand with God? Friends, we naturally identify actually most with the the Gentile woman. As much as we might like to think that, that we're, we're on the inside as uh, rich North Shore people, well, actually, now unless you're Jewish, unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. You naturally stand as an outsider with God. Distant, unclean, defiled, just like the Canaanite woman. But friends, the good news is this. After salvation comes to the Jews, salvation comes to the Gentiles too. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, has a new salvation that's going to include all of us Gentiles as well. We are the ugly duckling, the ugly duckling in God's family, the one who naturally doesn't belong. But friends, we have done a Bradbury. We've done a Bradbury We, who don't deserve it, who don't belong, have been accepted in. Friends, Jesus can and has made us truly clean for all of those who would simply trust him, put their faith in him. No matter how unclean you are, no matter what you've done today or yesterday or in your life, and no matter whether you're an insider or an outsider in society, Jesus makes us clean. 
Jesus can save all of those who respond by putting their faith in him. So friends, praise God today for his incredible grace and mercy on dirty sinners like us. This is the thing that prompted Peter to say to a congregation just like us, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray and give thanks for that. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Father, not as people who are clean or good or worthy in our own right, but, Father, we see that you have opened up the gates of your kingdom to Israel and you have opened up the gates of your kingdom to the rest of the world as well. Father, thank you for your mercy upon us. Lord, we know that we don't deserve it. We know that we are not clean. But, Father, thank you that Jesus makes us truly clean. Father, thank you that he can save all of those who respond with faith. So, Father, will you help us to receive your mercy with faith and obedience? Father, help us to reflect and be thankful in our lives for for being accepted to a family that we don't belong. Help us to be humble about it. And Father, help us to praise you proudly for you have accepted us, the ugly duckling, into your family. And Father, might we praise you that you have made us your people. Amen.